Let's open again to Luke chapter 9 and verse number 23. Luke chapter 9 verse 23. And we're talking today about the crucified life. The name of this sermon, looking at the crucified life. Luke 9 and verse 23, Jesus says, He said to them all, If any man will will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Verse 24, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake the same shall save it. If you would, bow your heads with me. Let's ask God to help us with this sermon. Father, Lord, as we head into this, uh, God, whatever distractions, whatever problems we have with the technology, we want to put all that aside, focus our attention now on you and your word and what you've told us in these verses. Please let these words sink deep into our hearts. Please fill me with your spirit. I believe there's something we all need to hear about this, learn about this. Help us to get a good look today at the crucified life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In verse 23, I'd like to draw your attention to one phrase towards the end of the verse. Take up his cross. And then if I can zoom in even more on one word, daily. Daily. Every day of your life as a Christian, there is a cross Involved And notice Jesus, he makes it personal. It is your cross. It's your cross. Take up his cross daily. The follower of Christ, if you want to talk about being a follower of Christ, this is synonymous with saying you are living a crucified life. That is the Christian life. Some years ago, I was a much younger man. I went to the doctor. I said, Doc, I got, a, I got an issue. I, I've been feeling strange lately. He said, what's going on? Explain the feeling to me. I said, well, it, it emanates from right in here in the heart area. And I said, I can't, I can't get away from it all the time. No matter what I do, it's just something in my heart. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes, I must admit it, it's a very welcomed feeling. Almost as if it frees things up. And I said it emanates it, it, from the heart, but then I really feel the, almost like a weight is put on my back. So much so that I, I feel like I need to hunch over a little bit. And then sometimes whenever, whenever the, the feeling is not so painful, it feels lighter than air on my back it almost feels like it wants to lift me on off the ground it's a strange feeling I've never felt like this before and he said well Mike just let me ask you I gotta ask some some questions about this has there anything changed in your life recently have you made made any changes to your diet have you taken up a new sport perhaps or been in an accident or what what's gone on I said well doc the only big thing that's happened to me recently is I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And the doctor said, mm-hmm. I've seen this before. He said, let, let, me, let me get my medical journal and show you what your, 
what you're experiencing. And he grabbed his medical journal called the Bible, and he opened to Philippians 2. He opened to Philippians 2. Let me show you what he showed me. He opened to Philippians 2, verse 5, and he said, Mike, I can tell you right away what's going on with you. You've come down with a serious case of Christianity. I said, Christianity, is that what this is? He said, yes, the more specific term is crucified life. That's what we call it in our profession. But you have a case of Christianity. I said, well, explain, Doc, how sometimes it feels good and sometimes it feels bad. He said, yeah, welcome to the irony of the Christian life. (laughs) The Apostle Paul said, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Paul said, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. So sometimes this is going to be very painful and at other times it's going to be very pleasurable. Sometimes it's going to feel like the greatest of blessings, and other times it's going to feel like the heaviest burden you've ever tried to carry. This is called Christianity. This is called taking up your cross daily. This is what is required in being a follower of Christ. And he showed me from Philippians 2 what is involved in this problem. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of of the cross. He said, you you see, Mike, here's Jesus in the form of God. He had to humble himself and learn obedience. And through learning obedience, there was suffering involved. There was pain involved. And now as a Christian, you are called to have the same mindset, the same outlook on life that Jesus had. So if you want to learn about this condition that you are now experiencing, you need to study how Jesus looked at His cross. And by studying the way Jesus approached and looked at His cross, you'll learn how to live with your crucified life condition. He said one thing, though, I just want to encourage you. You might feel when it gets a bit heavy... When it gets a bit painful, you might think that this is some sort of a curse or a punishment. Please know that it's not. You need to know the whole story. Verse verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. He said, in the case of Jesus, you see there's a very happy ending. So don't think that this condition you have starts in the heart and works its way to the shoulders and makes, makes you feel heavy at times. There's a very happy ending to this condition. So with that said, I'd like to take you to Mark chapter 14. And we're going to spend a little bit of time. 
this morning looking at the crucified life. We're going to use the crucifixion of Christ himself to help us obtain the proper outlook for what is the Christian life. Mark chapter 14, now obviously the story of Jesus being crucified takes up multiple verses. It it spans over two and a half chapters, so we're, we're not going to be able to read every verse involved with it. But as you can see on the outline I've given you, we're going to deal with a few select passages. The first look, you have it on the outline there, Mark 14, verses 13 to 36, we're going to deal with the inward look. The inward look. And what I mean by that is the individual who is carrying the cross, he himself, she herself, how do you personally look at the cross you're carrying? How do you handle it? How do you handle it? Mark 14, verse 32. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Verse 36, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. And then the wonderful ending to it, Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. I want you to see the approach that Jesus took to his cross. He knew that it was commanded by the Father he would have to head to the cross. He knew deep down this is unavoidable. Yet at the same time, when faced with the burden of all of our sins, faced with the cup filled with the wrath of God, the punishment for our sins, he looked at that cross that he was called to carry and we can see that it physically shook him. It gripped his soul so tightly that even Jesus had to pause for a moment. It's not that he doubted whether or not he would follow through with obeying God, but he needed to find some extra strength, some grace to carry through, or follow through rather, and carry this cross to its full conclusion. I think, I, and I fear this, I fear this, that sometimes we look at the Christian life as just a list of rules. Don't do this, do this. And for some folks, it's nothing but a bunch of religious obligations. Now that I'm a Christian, I've got to do this, 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 and I'm not allowed to have any fun. That's the misconception they have of Christianity. Let's make no mistake about it, guys. There are things as a Christian you're not supposed to do, right? So there's an element of truth to this. Yes, don't do this and do these things. That's, that's true. But you need to know why we're doing those things. Why do we avoid certain things? Why do we stay busy and consistent and faithful 
and another list of things. Why do we do that? We want to maintain a healthy, vibrant, fruitful relationship with God. And we want to help others maintain that enjoyable walk with God. So even though those daily duties that I have to perform as a believer may not be convenient or comfortable to my flesh, I look at that cross that I'm called to bear and gladly pick it up because I realize why I'm doing it. It's not just to tick the box of a religious obligation. I know the greater purpose of it and the beauty of it. Listen, we're in a relationship. We're in a relationship. When you're in a relationship with another person, you know what you're allowed to do? You're allowed to look at that other person and say, I'm really worn out. I would love to talk more with you, but man, I've had a tough day. I don't think I'm going to be able to carry on a long conversation today like some other day. Can we take a bit of a break? Just today, is that okay? And, and the Lord, because He is a person, God is not some idea. God is not a machine. He actually can factor in what's going on in your life and say, you know what, you are having a rough day. And I understand perfectly why you need a break. You're, apt, you're able, as we learn from this, what is Jesus' approach? What's the inward look at the cross? He looked at the cross, and before he went, he stopped and prayed and said, Father, can we talk about this? Can we talk about this thing you've called me to do? Now, you know that there are some things you need to do, some things you need to not do, right? And then there are some times where God is going to call on you to do something special, something specific, something unique to you, something sacrificial. And when God puts his finger on your heart, immediately your flesh will pull away. Your flesh will say, oh dear, why God? Why would you ask me to do that? Why would you let me go through that? And at the same time, there's another part of you that's going to say, Oh, God, why? Why would you call upon me? Why would you allow me the privilege of going through this on your behalf? And within you, the inward look, you'll have two parts of you looking at that cross differently. One part of you will say, Run, man, this is horrible, this is painful, this is a burden. And another part of you says, Wow. God is actually allowing me to be involved. God is going to use me to make a difference. This is a blessing. And you're going to feel that internal struggle. You need to reach the nevertheless moment. Do you see it in verse 36? This is the key. I believe where Paul says, let this mind be in you. You need to think of the cross like Jesus thought of the cross. What was Jesus' approach to the cross? Father, this is incredibly heavy. This is going to be painful. This is shaking me, gripping me. I'm, I'm a little bit scared of this. And if you have any doubts about that, read Hebrews 5. It says that Jesus feared. He looked at this and said, my goodness. Becoming sin for them, this is, a, this is massive. You're allowed to admit that. God's not angry that you admit that. Jesus, in verse 36, he admitted, Father, it's possible. I know you can take the cup away. But if you don't, Father, never 
nevertheless. You've got to reach the nevertheless moment where you say, God, if you left it up to me, I would do it differently. If you left it up to me, we'd ask somebody else to do this. But God, if this is the cup I must drink, if this is the hour that I have to endure, if this is the cross you're calling me to bear, then whatever it is that you've put on my heart, thy will be done. Thy will be done. I've often explained it like this. When you see the will of God, I always like to picture that in the vertical sense, right? Because it's going up to God. And then you have the will of man. I think of this in the horizontal sense because men, you know, run all over the earth like this. So you have the will of God and the will of man, and they generally run diametrically opposed to each other, opposite directions. And sometimes your will, what you want to do goes this way, and what God wants you to do goes this way. And sometimes it's a smaller thing, and you can just say, hey, you know, I know it's for the best. I need to do it. Other times you'll look at that cross and say, my goodness, I don't know. If I pick up that cross, it's going to change my life. If I pick up that cross, it is going to cost me so much. Once I pick up that cross, there's no going back. I can't unpick up that cross. God's will here, man's will here. You say, nevertheless. God, I get it. I I wouldn't want to do it that way, but not my will, thine be done. And you pick up that cross and carry it. Did you know that not everything in the Christian life is a massive sacrifice? You realize that, right? Not everything God asks you to do is... Some people get the idea that if you're going to be Christian, that means you can't enjoy any aspect of life. That you just have to suffer. Christianity equals suffering. That's not true, guys. I I, I enjoy sports. I enjoy sunsets. I enjoy a good book. I enjoy music. I enjoy art. I enjoy watching a clean TV program. I enjoy laughing with my children, with my wife. I I enjoy lots lots of... Don't get it in your mind that... And I've seen some Christians do this. If I'm enjoying it and having fun, and if it tastes good, then it's got to be sinful. (laughs) That's not always true. Don't make the Christian life more difficult than it needs to be. You You don't need to show off and say, hey, God, watch this. I got one cross and another cross. Give me four more crosses. You don't need to you don't need to impress anyone with it's not a contest to see how many you can carry at once. You don't need to multitask. Just say, God, how do you want me to handle this thing I'm doing right now? I'll do it your way, not my way. That's living the crucified life. And sometimes, yes, it will require a sacrifice. Years ago, I got to Malawi. I prayed diligently that God would provide a man that I could train for the ministry. As years went on, God provided many. He answered that prayer over and over again. The first man I trained was named Ashbad Muntali. You've met him. He's preached in this church. Ashbad was my assistant for several years. Right when we got our first church up and running, we built a church building and then the, the first day in the building, I handed the church over to him. I said, it's yours. I went off and started another church in another town, another, another area. Ashbad did such a wonderful job. But you know, Malawi is the poorest country in the world. 
So to, for them, for their own people to support their pastor is a challenge. We put Ashbad through electrical school so that he would be able to work a job and be a pastor. So he is pastoring about 100 people full-time. He's going out witnessing seven, eight hours a week. He, we couldn't afford to buy him a bicycle, so he walked 20, 30 kilometers to go preach to people to do discipleship. He did full-time pastor and full-time electrical work. It got so dire for a while, he had to step away from Malawi, come to South Africa. He found work as an electrician in Joburg. It went very well. Then he got contracted to do work in Cape Town. (laughs) Things are looking up, right? If you want to look at this through the world's eyes, you think, man, wow. This is great. I got a good job, and then I got a better job. After the Cape Town job, the guys in Joburg called him back and said, we want you back here. We'll pay you more. By this time, Ashbad had been away from his family and his church for almost a year. Ashbad went back to Malawi to visit his wife and kids, visit the church. It just so happened that I showed up. We took a team of our church members, and we visited Malawi. And I went into Ashbad's office there in the church. And he said, Brother Mike, can I talk to you? I said, sure. Came in. He shut the door. He took out four 1,000 kwacha notes in bills. That's the largest denomination of money they have, 1,000 kwacha. So he laid four of those bills on the table, 4,000 kwacha. He said, Pastor, this is my salary from the church for the whole month. Now, that doesn't mean much to you, maybe, so I'll put it into rands. 87 rands. That's it. He looked at that and he looked at me and he said, Pastor, and he told me how much he was making here. He said, I was a rich man for a little while. He said, but I believe God wants me to be here and to feed his sheep. So if this is all the pay I get, I'd rather be in the center of God's will and poor than have all the money I need and be outside of God's will. That was his nevertheless moment. Where he looked at the easier, more convenient way and he looked at God's way and he said, I would rather do it this other way. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Let's remember what Jesus said. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Daily. God, I'll do it your way, not my way. Let me show you the next look. Part 2, Mark chapter 14, verses 55 to 62. Now you can see we're, we're moving down the passage a little bit. Jesus has been arrested Judas has kissed him by this point. Mark 14, verses 55 to 62. The second look is the outward look. So there's the inward. How do you internally view the cross? And you have to willingly submit to do it God's way and not your way. Part two, the outward look. There's Jesus going to the cross. We're going to see him hanging on the cross. And then he looks out. What does he see? He's going to see how the world is viewing him. Verse 55, And the chief priests and all the council sought for false witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. And many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. 
You see, as soon as you pick up the cross and start doing it God's way and not your way, you're going to find a lot of people hate you without a cause. That shouldn't surprise us because they hated Jesus without a cause. But you'll find this intense hatred and this persecution even though you're the one trying to help. Verse 57, And there arose certain and bare false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. And the false priest, or the false priest, that's very true, actually. <laughs> the high priest, <laughs> that, that, that's an interesting slip of the tongue. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. We read in First Peter, being reviled, he reviled not again. Do you know how difficult this is? Guys, this is part of the crucified life. When people are lying about you, he's standing there listening to them lie about him. They're false witnesses. He knows that the high priest is just trying to catch him. Catch him, you know, in confusion of words. Do you know how, how I would react to that? I would immediately start trying to straighten out all these false witnesses. Hey, no, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. I would jump up and try to protect my reputation. I would try to vindicate myself. I would try to establish some honor in their presence and say, guys, I'm the good guy. Why do you hate me so much? I would defend myself. We read in Philippians 2, he made himself of no reputation. When he looked out at the world, he didn't say, now let me impress them. I want them to think highly of me. That wasn't the object. Why didn't he answer what these false witnesses were saying? There was nothing valid that he needed to answer. They hadn't laid an actual charge against him. None of their testimonies agreed. He doesn't need to straighten it out. It was all a bunch of lies anyway. Then he comes to this. Verse 61, But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Are thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed, the Son of God? Ah, now that, that he can give a clear answer to. Now they've asked a straight question. That's a good question. Jesus jumps on this. He said, I am. I got a funny feeling that when he said that, some of their minds jumped back to Exodus 3 when Moses said, uh, what do I tell them about your name? What's your name? And he said, I am that I am. <laughs> you tell them the I am sent you. Are you the son of the blessed? I am. <laughs> they probably started to shake a bit right there. Jesus continued and said, And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Unashamed of who he was, I'm the Son of God. When the world approaches you and says, Why are you acting like this? Why all these changes? Why are you acting, they are going to say this, Why are you acting so strangely? Now to you and I it's not that strange, but to them it's very strange. This is your chance to say, I'm a child of God, and I'm not ashamed of it. You may not understand it. You may not like it. You may have a hatred for me that you can't even explain, but I'm not backing down. And, and bear in mind, Jesus is not saying this in a rude way, is he? 
It's not like he's debating this and trying to prove how right he is and how wrong they are. He's just stating the truth. I'm I'm the Son of God. And the next time you guys see me, I'm coming in the clouds in great power. And by the way, we're going to be with him. (laughs) The story continues. You know that Peter steps out and denies him three times. Boy, that had to hurt. Because Jesus knew this would happen. He's witnessing this happen in real time. Because by the third denial, Jesus looked over and caught eyes with Peter. It's not only the high priest. It's not only the false witnesses. It's not only the world without. But sometimes you'll pick up that cross that Christ has called you to carry. And even other disciples won't understand. Why are you doing this? Even Peter, right? Peter thought, Lord, let me deliver you from this. I'll get you out of this problem. Let me make your life more convenient. And even the disciples had forsaken him and fled. Chapter 15, verses 1 down to 14. We have, and forgive me, we're not going to read it all. Let me just quickly explain it. Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate could find no fault in him. He couldn't convict him of anything and still delivered him over to the people. The world will examine your life. Here's a guy that he's he's living right, he's living clean, he works hard, he takes care of his family, and yet no one likes him. He He doesn't have friends at work, and he gets shut out of all the clubs and the society groups, and they... Pilate finds nothing wrong with him and says, well, let's persecute him anyway. You'll find that the treatment you get for the world doesn't make sense. This is part of the outward look if you're going to live the crucified life. In verses 15 to 32, we have Jesus standing before the soldiers. They whip him. Oh, did they whip him. They abused him. They mocked him. They nailed him to a cross. Verse 30, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. You know what's horrible about this? The the multitude that cried out, away with him, crucify him. It was that same multitude. Jesus had fed them, healed them, preached to them. Publicly, they witnessed not dozens, not hundreds, thousands of miracles. The ones he tried to help are the ones now saying, get them, get them away from us. They're the ones walking past him, wagging the head, saying, what a waste of a perfectly good prophet. Man, this guy, he could have been the most popular man in Israel. All this power, these special abilities. He was a very eloquent speaker. I mean, Jesus, when he preached, the Bible says, never a man spake like this man. He could have been the greatest figure ever. Humanly speaking, that's what these passerbys, passersby, that's what they're thinking. What a waste of a life. Can I ask you to hold your Bible here? Just flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4, just quickly. 1 Peter chapter 4. They're walking by thinking, man, this is strange. 
this guy could be king. He, with all the power, with the ability he has, he could, he could gain such a massive following. He could overthrow the Romans. He, he could have had it all, but there he hangs. 1 Peter 4, verse 1, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise, help me with this phrase, with the same what? Mind. What Paul say? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Peter says, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. What's the evidence that you've stopped that old life? You're now suffering for it. This is part of the crucified life. Watch the outward look. Verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men. You don't do it the world's way. But to the will of God, you're going to do it God's way. Verse 3, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought, that means worked, the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, that's parties, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Watch verse 4. Wherein they think it, what? Strange. They look at you hanging on the cross and just wag their head and say, man, what's wrong with you? What's going on with you? Why, some of you could be rich. Some of you could start your own business and some of you can make a great name for yourself and you're giving it all up to stay in potch and go to a church where you hear the Bible preached. What's wrong with you? You're weird. You're a freak. That's strange. Why, Ashbad, why would you, instead of living in Joburg or Cape Town making good money, why not move your family here? Who would go and live in Malawi for 87 rand a month? That's strange. Verse 4, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Just skip down to verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. The world's walking by saying, come down. You saved others. They acknowledge His good works. You saved others. You raised others from the dead. Now listen, make your life better. Come down. And as you hang up there, you you know Jesus, He listens to this for six hours. At the end of this time, Jesus says this unforgettable line, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me Listen, I I don't know how long God stepped away. I'm going to say just moments because a few minutes later, Jesus prays and says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But for a brief moment at least, the presence of God moved away from Christ. Watch this. One of the greatest burdens you'll ever bear, one of the greatest pains you'll ever feel is that of loneliness. And this is, this is why, guys, I please I implore you to listen to this part. This is why in the Bible there's such a heavy emphasis on the local church in the New Testament. Because the world is going to look at what we're doing, living a crucified life as a very strange thing. You need the encouragement of other believers who are also trying to carry that, 
carry that cross. We need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need each other. Otherwise, that feeling of loneliness sets in and it can depress you so badly that you cry out and say, God, why? Why, God? Why hast thou forsaken me? And you feel alone. Let me ask you, who was there with him? The disciples had fled. The world is wagging their heads. And now, for a moment, Jesus feels the presence of God leave. Oh, the outward look of the crucified life sometimes can be very bleak. It'll feel like you versus everyone. You versus the world. Paul put it like this, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. That's the outward look. You look out there, and man, it's them against me. and That's not how we want it. We are trying to help. We're called to minister to them, are we not? We're called to love our enemies and pray for them that despitefully use us, right? Aren't we called to bless them that curse us? So here they are wagging their heads and spitting at us and mocking us. And and what do we do in return? Father, forgive them. That's the outward look. It'll feel like me versus them, but in actuality, it's me trying to help them and they hate me in return. And what the world yells out, and we saw it in Mark 15, verse 30, come down from the cross. The world would love for you nothing more than for you to compromise. Listen, Jesus, just come down. You don't have to stop being Jesus. You can come down. You can keep preaching about meekness. You can keep preaching about being poor in spirit and being a peacemaker. We like all that. Hey, do that miracle where you feed the 5,000 again. It's breakfast time. It was about that. It's, it's breakfast. Time. Come down. And we, we, we will accept pretty much everything you've been doing up until now. But this claim about being the Son of God and how you're going to rule the world, uh, Jesus, just ratchet down your standards a little bit. You're asking too much. This business of forsake all and follow me. Come on, man. Come on. Jesus, you're asking too much. Just come down a little bit. You know what? If Jesus, Think this through with me for a moment. If Jesus would have come down, would he, would he have made some friends? Very temporarily. Oh, the people standing there that were mocking him, they would have went, wow. Okay, that was awesome. Well done, you did come down. And then they would have found another way to get rid of him. They didn't want to believe. Guys, as soon as you fall into that trap of trying to do what's impressive to the world, you'll never get out of that trap. The fear of man brings a snare. And the temptation, I feel it, we all feel it, is to let me just come down from that cross a little bit to try to appease the world so that they quit hating me so much. We're not trying to make them angry. We're just trying to be obedient to God and the world is going to misunderstand that. Do not let that discourage you. Don't drop your standards so that the world is impressed. 
The Bible says in Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's on your paper there if you want to look at it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the the cross. Watch the next phrase there, despising the shame. Have you ever thought, have you ever meditated on that part? Despising the shame. So they are speaking shameful things, making fun of him. You know what he said? No big deal. That's despising something. No big deal. Say what you want. I'm right where God wants me to be. I didn't come here to gain a great reputation with you. I came here to save you. I came here to minister to you, and this is how God wants me to do it. So I'm going to stay right where God wants me to be. Often I stop to think just where I'd be had Jesus come down from that cruel tree. There'd be no hope for man, no peace could be found. Praise God, I am glad that he didn't come down. Picture his mother there with tears in her eyes as they mocked and scorned him and pierced his side. They said, if thou be king, then come to the ground. But he prayed, forgive them, and he didn't come down. He didn't come down, oh no, he didn't come down. Ten thousand angels were camped all around. He could have called them to set him free. But he stayed on the cross for you and for me. You know why we don't want to lower our standards and come down from that cross? Because we're doing this for their sakes. We want to be that Christian that we're called to be so that others will see that the sacrifice is worth it and fall into this relationship with God as well. The the fellowship of the world is not worth giving up that cross. Don't come down. Lastly, number three on your outline, the upward look. We've had the inward Look, how do you personally feel about the cross? Well, it might be a bit heavy. Rather do it another way. Nevertheless, I'll do it God's way. That's the inward look. There's the outward look. Well, it feels like me versus them. It's not. They want you to compromise. Don't do it. Don't do it. The outward look is I'm not trying to impress them. I'm trying to help them. That's the outward look. And what about the upward look? Mark chapter 15, let's get verse 33. Mark 15, verse 33, the upward look. What do I mean by that? In this equation, we've talked about Jesus looking at his cross. We've talked about how the world looked at him upon the cross. But somebody else is watching this happen. What about the Father in heaven? How do you think he felt watching his son go to the cross? Mark 15, verse 33. And when the sixth hour was come, 
there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So that you know, Jesus was on the cross for six hours altogether. Mark is using a Jewish denomination of time. Right? So a Jew starts counting at 6 a.m. That's the beginning of the day. So the sixth hour on our watch would be 12 noon. So from 12 noon until the ninth hour for Jewish time, that's 3 p.m. our time. So from, from 12 noon to 3 p.m., the Bible says there was darkness over the whole land. We can have a conversation as to why it went dark. Would you allow me just for a moment not to teach but just to preach? I'm just going to give you my opinion. I think halfway through, halfway through, the father looked down. He saw sinners walking by, mocking his son, despising the sacrifice he was making for them. And God said, that's enough. That's enough. Dim the lights. I can't watch this anymore. Dim the lights. And whichever angel's in charge of dimming the lights, he said, Lord, are you sure it's 12 noon? This is when the sun's supposed to be up. He said, dim the lights. Now you see, I'm just preaching. I'm not teaching. There's no verse for that in the Bible. <laughs> but what if it was your son? And you knew, my son has to go through this. It's absolutely necessary. There's no way around it. And my son is willingly doing it, but... My goodness, look at what they're doing to him. Turn the lights off. Turn the lights off. Verse number 38. Can we read 37 with it? Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. He said, Pastor, how do you think that the Father felt when Jesus was on the cross, can I give you one word for it? Conflicted. Let me explain why I use that word. I've given you a verse on your paper here, Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You understand it was the Father who took those sins that we committed and put them on his Son. Just like Abraham put the wood on Isaac's shoulders and had him carry it, the father put these sins on Jesus and had him carry it. In that same chapter in Isaiah 53 verse 10, it says this. Please listen to this verse. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, the father, hath put him, the son, to grief. The father to an extent, is the one inflicting this pain. And it says it pleased the Lord, not in some sadistic, mean way. But the Father looked down through time at you and you and you and you and me. And He said, in order to save these sinners and restore the fellowship with them and have a relationship with them and live forever with them and enjoy them and they enjoy me, in order for this to happen, we cannot avoid it. The Lamb must be slain. So conflicted. The Father says, I wish there was another way, but there isn't. And all of our sins 
put on Christ. And for our sakes, he's pleased, you understand. This is going to save them, so he's pleased. But there's another side of the Father that says, shut the lights off. You know what they would do? You read this all through the Old Testament. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. When somebody would have some horrible thing happen, very grievous thing, they would tear their garment, wouldn't they? They would rip it. They would rip their garment. Verse 38, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. Do you understand what the veil of the temple was hiding? It was hiding the presence of God. You know what God did? God said, my son just died. His heart was broken. And in order to show that to the people, he took his garment He took the veil that wrapped his presence and ripped it from the top to the bottom. Exactly like a man would do who's feeling utter grief. He was conflicted. Happy to save us. So hard to watch his son suffer. If I can, direct your attention again to Hebrews 12 and verse 2. It's at the bottom of your paper there. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I'd like for, for you to pay close attention to the next phrase. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I want you to notice that joy. While Jesus is hanging there on the cross, there's the inward look of I'm willing to do it. There's the outward look of I'm trying to help even though you hate me. And I'm not going to come down, no matter how much you make fun of me. But then there's also an upward look. Jesus was able to look out, look up a little bit, and look out into the future, and he knew that there was some joy waiting for him. You see, 33 years before the cross, the Father sends the Son down into this world, The father watches Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, watches Jesus as he grows. At the age of 12, Jesus is keenly aware of his relationship to God. He he says, I must be about my father's business. At the age of 30, he gets baptized. God speaks up from heaven and says, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Three years goes by and we're almost ready for the cross. The Mount of Transfiguration happens. Moses and Elijah are sent down. They meet with Jesus. They speak of his decease. They talk about him dying in Jerusalem. And the Father once again speaks up and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. For 33 years, the Father's been watching his Son consistently obey every word, every deed, exactly as the Father told Jesus to do it, Jesus did it. Now here comes the cross. The Father, I think, just to encourage Jesus to remind the disciples, this is my Son. Son, I'm I'm happy with you. Whenever you're carrying that cross and it gets so heavy and you think, I don't know if I can continue doing it this way, Wouldn't it be easier to just put the cross down and just take a break from being a Christian? I mean, just give me one day off from my Christianity. He didn't do that. Father just watches Jesus carry that cross, keep carrying that cross. 
Take your Bible, come to John chapter 17. I'd like to finish in that chapter if that's all right. That cross that you're carrying, you'd like to put it down, but what you've got to remember is it's not, you're not carrying it for your own satisfaction. You're not doing it to gain a reputation with the world. You're carrying this cross because of the, the wonderful smile that comes across God's face when He looks down at you humbly serving Him in obedience. When you pick up that heavy cross and somehow manage to smile and say, Father, this is so heavy, but you're worth it. Look at John 17, verse number 13. This is, right before, this is the night before Jesus died. Jesus prays this. And now come I to thee, Jesus speaking to the Father. Pause right there for a moment. Would you let that sink in? I haven't seen my dad in a while. I miss him. I'd be quite excited to pick up the phone and say, Dad, can't wait till next week I get to come home and visit. That'd be exciting. For 33 years, Jesus has been away from the Father. And now he picks up the phone in John 17 and says, Hey, Dad, coming home. Now I come to Thee. Boy, that must have been joyful. And these things I speak in the world that they might have, next two words, my joy fulfilled in themselves. Wait a minute, Jesus. You're about to go to the cross. In John 18, he steps into Gethsemane, and then he gets arrested, then he gets beaten, then he gets whipped, then he gets crucified, then he gets mocked, and then he dies. What is this that we're reading Father, please, the joy that I feel now, let them feel it. <laughs> what, what joy? Jesus knows that fulfilling the Father's will is the key way to have a fulfilling, joyful life. That there's nothing better than knowing God is smiling at what you're doing. That's the real fulfillment of life. That's why you find people that have Fortune 500 businesses and make money hand over fist and have all the toys and gadgets the world has to offer. And You look at that and think that's the life and they're utterly miserable and they drown their sorrows in drugs and alcohol and try to fill the gap in their life with all sorts of sin. What's wrong? What's missing? The real joy is knowing God is happy with me. And in order for that to take place, you have to carry the cross. Jesus is praying for you and for me. Verse 20, look at it. Neither pray I for these alone. I'm not praying just for the, the 11 disciples here. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He's praying for you, friend. If you are saved, this is Jesus praying for you. Look at what he prayed. Verse 24. Father, I will that they also, whom Thou hast given Me, be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory which Thou hast given Me, for Thou lovest Me before the foundation of the world. You know what Jesus is praying? Father, what I'm asking is that You let th these believers come where we're at 
and get a glimpse of the relationship that we've had since the foundation of the world. I want them to see just how intensely you love me and how much I love you. I want them to see that so that they can experience that. This is the outcome of living the crucified life. One day, standing before the Lord and having Him look down at what you've done and say, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. When faced with the cross, you didn't run. You said, nevertheless. We know how the story ends, right? Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Without a cross, there's no crown. Without a nevertheless, you don't get the nearness of God. Paul said, let this mind be in us which was also in Christ Jesus. What's that mind? I got to have the proper outlook of the crucified life. Inward, outward, upward. Let's all stand if you would please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed just for a few moments would you please? Nobody's asking you today to make the Christian life more difficult than it needs to be. But I am asking you to take a longer look at the cross that Jesus has given you to carry. Let Him take up His cross daily. Even today, where is your cross? say where does it start preacher you don't have to just look at your life and say okay what can I sacrifice how can I make it more painful that's not the crucified life you start as Jesus did in the garden of Gethsemane by praying saying father I know what you want me to do I need some strength and encouragement to do it I just want you to know that I'll do it your way Pastor, I'm struggling to carry this cross. Stop and pray. Realign your heart. Remind yourself of why you're doing it. Don't compromise because some friends or because co-workers because the world doesn't understand. Keep looking forward to that joy set before you. Keep looking forward to the day you get to see the Lord face to face. And it will be worth it all when you see Jesus. Father, thank you for this morning, the opportunity to sing, to fellowship together, to pray. Thank you for the time to look at this crucified life. While we're doing so, we can't help but see you the outstanding sacrifice that you made on our behalf. Father, how your heart must have been broken and blessed all at once. God, please help us to take that cross seriously. The cross of Christ and the cross we have to carry. Give us grace, Lord. 
Give us grace daily to pick it up and carry it for your sake. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.